We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, Lakers snapped their three-game losing streak, beating the Rockets 140 to 132. Gosh, these regulation scores, man, are just blowing my mind. LeBron scores a season-high 48 points, a relatively effortless 48 points, and his jumper was falling. We had a franchise record, fewest turnovers in a game with just two. D, it was not the most serious basketball game, but God bless the Houston Rockets. Got ourselves a much-needed W, especially with the Kings and Grizzlies coming up. Not the prettiest game, but tell me, what did you see? Saw a lot of scoring is what I saw, as is indicated by the score that you just laid out there. This falls in line with a trend that I'd written about in the game preview where um, the Lakers have not played much defense on the second night of back-to-backs. I think their defensive rating in general in in those games was in the 120s. Um, And even in the games that they won, um, this was their seventh second night of a back-to-back that that they played coming in. So they were like two and four coming in. So they got their third win. I think in the two games they won, they had surrendered 138 and 134 points. So this falls in line with that, Pete. They surrendered 132 points to the Houston Rockets. The 30th ranked offense... Houston Rockets, by the way. Houston's been plucky lately. They gave the Clippers a little run for their money. And we dealt with this a little bit earlier this season with the Spurs and some with the Pistons, where when a team loses so much, at some point they're going to break through. And you just hope it's not against you because, like, they're sort of primed to go out there and, and, and play well. And, Mike, I thought this was one of those nights where... Houston offered very specific problems for the Lakers, particularly in the Thomas Bryant, Alpi Shingun matchup. Shingun was just eating TB alive. And that is an understatement, man. That is about as big of a butt kicking as you'll see in individual matchup. I actually wanted to talk about that in context with Darwin a little bit later, too. But please yeah. continue. That was Shingun pretty much kept them in that game. Well, Shingun is a really good, good player. He is like on the broadcast. Um, they were talking about how he's uh, 
he models his game after Jokic and you can see it. A player that he reminds me actually more of to a certain extent is Sabonis mm. because he's got that um, he's got that same sort of frame where he's just sort of square and he just yeah. knocks into you and backs you off and, and, and has good footwork around the basket. He's a good passer mm-hmm. um, and, he, and he's got a little bit of a three point shot. And it's just like, oh, like he does more than what you'd expect because he doesn't seem super athletic, but he just knows what he's doing out there. And so he seemed a little bit too strong for Wenyon, but Wenyon's athleticism gave gave him more issues. But the only real solution they had for him was putting LeBron on him. And LeBron maybe guarded him for five or six possessions. And I don't think Shengun scored once on, on any of those possessions. But the rest of the game, he gave TB, Fitz, Mike, and he gave Wenyan all he could handle and probably four of his five fouls <laughs> or six fouls after he fouled out. So Houston was ready, I think, to compete. Um, the Lakers also let them compete. To a certain extent, they were up big and then let their foot off the gas, which is something that you've talked a fair amount about, like across the NBA and how this is just one of those games. So so what did you see, Mike? Were there red flags for you or was it just like, oh, another night of doing business in the National Basketball Association? No, this is all I think to be expected other than maybe the extreme efficiency of LeBron. But as noted on Lakers.com by staff writer Darius Soriano, LeBron's been nails on the second night of back-to-backs. And I think there, there's a very specific reason for it, and we've talked about it some in, with, in when we talk about his shooting, is it's his rhythm. And when LeBron is in rhythm, he is just even that much more difficult to stop. And he's kind of locked in. He's loose. You could, just, you could tell, like, the first two threes that he took in the first half, that looked more like, the, uh, like LeBron's looked in recent years. And when he doesn't play for a couple of days in trying to get his body much needed rest, and, and this is why it's difficult moving forward, mm-hmm. then some of that goes away, but then he's able to save his legs for the course of the rest of the season. And I think that when you look at the schedule, and I think this is this is me interpreting maybe what LeBron might be thinking, but of course, this is not to quote, <laughs> this is not speaking for him. There are some games back-to-back wise where let's say that the second night of this back-to-back was uh, at Denver or something. That mm-hmm. might be the day where where he says, I'm not sure that even a 16 for 26 for 48-point performance is going to be enough to get this team over the top. So maybe that's where I think about how, how can I get my legs to a point where I can get us through the next week. And in this case, even though Houston is one of the worst teams in the NBA, they are on a back-to-back still good enough to beat you and their starting lineup is not bad in terms of well other than defensively they're bad defensively mostly because of shangun in the same way that sacramento is bad defensively even though they're a good offense because you can just, just attack sabonis you can get to the rim whenever you want but with eric gordon playing for kevin porter jr they just become a reasonable team like i, I like uh, kenny martin jr Jabari Smith Jr. Is, was that kind of a high pick for a reason. And he's got some skills like Shingun on offense is, is very good. Green is hot and cold. He was cold in the first half, hot in the second half, but can hurt you. So it's just that their bench is terrible, all right, because they're all so young. And I'm, I'm going on a little bit now, but these are all the things I think that considering the Lakers, these are the kind of games where the Lakers can't afford to lose, whereas the ones against Philly and Dallas, as difficult as they were, it's in terms of where those teams are in the standings. Like we're back to where the Lakers were earlier in this season, where they 
the way that they're they're kind of fighting to get into the plan, this game against Houston became almost like a must win. And I think that's how LeBron viewed it and he delivered it. And he spoke to that in the post-game press conference, saying that he didn't think where the team's momentum was that he could afford to miss the game. And he was like, you know, I'm tired, but this is one that we needed. To speak to your point about the Denver game, uh, which was actually what happened, right? We played a back-to-back in Denver. We were also coming off of a five-game winning streak as well. And so on a three-game losing streak, if you drop one to Houston, who, speaking to your point, well, Mike— Denver, they, Denver wasn't a back-to-back, though, Pete, right? Because they, they got in the day before. They had the off day with Sacramento. Thank you for the correction. Thank you for the correction. But yeah, it, it all it certainly depends on where the team is in terms of win streak, losing streak. And so uh speaking to your point about Houston, they are they don't have many wins, but they've won at Dallas, at Phoenix, against Philadelphia in double OT, against Phoenix again, against the Bucks. They've got these wins. I think they're one of those teams, Mike, where on in a league that has so few nights off that they're one of those teams that especially in the text thread you mentioned them as a this is a human nature game and i think it's difficult d when you know that you can outscore that team you were listing all of those gaudy point total numbers but we're also winning a lot of those games right and so what i noticed from a lot of last night was a kind of a certainty that hey we can score against them and so we did not have our foot on the gas all that much on the defensive end that said i do think that we have some defensive issues right that uh we've been talking about a little bit offline that i'm curious just your broader thoughts on now that we get a a, a bigger sample size but also as we get closer to the trade deadline I've loved what Thomas Bryant has done offensively. Now, last night, he didn't get a lot of offensive opportunities the way that Houston defends the pick and roll. And um, just I didn't think TB's minutes lined up in a way where he got the opportunity to like run the floor a bunch and get a lot of open court opportunities, particularly in lineups with Russ. So TB had a poor offensive night against the Rockets. But overall, he's been really good filling in offensively and on the glass for AD. But he has really struggled defensively, Pete. And this is the Mm -hmm. third straight game where he's faced a different type of defensive responsibility and not been able to meet it at all. Mm -hmm. So against the Mavs, Mavs played a lot of pick and roll. And they played a lot of pick and roll with a lob threat. So he's playing against like, Powell or whoever and guys who are going to go up over the top and so and then Luke is one of the craftier ball handlers you're going to find to engage a big man in the pick and roll and TB had no chance in defending that two-man action in the Lakers drop coverage then they play against Philly and he's matched up against Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid is basically just moving him all over the court and be and that's Joel Embiid you get it But TB is also one of those dudes who's supposed to be stronger. That's supposed to be like Mm -hmm. sort of what his calling card is defensively to sort of stand in there. And if a guy is trying to back you down, but Embiid just moved him. And Embiid does that to a lot of guys. I get it. But not a lot of resistance from TB in that sort of matchup. And now he faces a Shangoon who is more of a craft and positioning player. He's also strong, but TB did not crowd him on any of those outside shots. And so Shangoon is shooting just like practice three pointers. And then he's beating him off of the dribble still and getting to spots and then going into his pivot arsenal. And it's just like, so that's three different types of defensive responsibilities and defensive matchups. And TB went 0 for 3. 
and and was really in the middle of the frame in terms of some of the Lakers defensive failures. And, and so it's like it's an interesting dilemma, Mike, that the Lakers have here. TB is I think he's needed offensively and. He has such great chemistry with LeBron as a release valve. He plays so hard. He goes to the offensive glass. He's got, and in the second half, he even had a couple of blocks, right? But overall, I think that the Lakers' floor is lower defensively with TB on the floor, and their ceiling is nowhere near as high. Right. And so you're almost starting at this disadvantage defensively that I think is difficult is going to be difficult for the team to navigate. And I think it's one of the reasons why LeBron needs these 35, 38, 40 point nights. And it's just like, oh, well, the Lakers are an unserious team. Well, it's actually like their defense just has no chance on a lot of these nights. And that requires a lot of points to be scored. And it changes the dynamic of the game. And so that's where I'm sort of at when I'm looking at big picture stuff about the Lakers defense. All right. So what are possible solutions? Well, they've been playing Wendy Gabriel more and his minutes went from. So take the last six games, 19, 13 and 19 minutes. And now the last three, 33, 26, 24. And so he's getting more of Thomas Bryant's minutes, basically. Like some of those minutes are just inverting. And in those minutes, sometimes LeBron is stepping over to defend the center. And sometimes Gabriel is trying to do it himself. Gabriel even told me in in the walk-off and a lot of what his coaches and teammates are telling him, and and I could see LeBron literally saying this from where I was standing. Like he just, it's, he's, his high energy is great. And it's the reason why he's in the league and it's, it's on top of the athleticism, but his motor is fantastic. But sometimes when you're a high motor player like that, it's hard to also not like to, to say, Oh, but, but pull back right at the point of the, of contention. Exactly. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's very, it's like, Hey, so keep playing exactly that same way. But when the guy tries to score on you, don't necessarily always try to block it. Just keep your hands up straight. And, and so he's dealing with that and he doesn't have a lot of NBA on court experience relative to what a lot of these guys do. And so that's, that's, you know, part of where I think he can still grow. But even with that said, even with all of the following that he does, he's been the mo- the most effective player in terms of net rating for since he joined the team. He was in March last year. He was a plus seven for the rest of the year. You know, small sample size, like the team was playing with bad energy before that. So we take it with a grain of salt. But now he's at a, a three. And on this team, that's number one right now. And it doesn't tell you everything, but it does tell you something. Uh, and I think that I'm not sure, though, Pete, and this is what I want to kick to you. The solution, I don't know, is, is like, well, OK, just start start him and put like invert his role basically permanently. But I do think that you're just going to see them continue what they've been doing recently. Whereas if it's a tougher matchup for Bryant, in comes Wenyan Gabriel earlier and you just invert those minutes. And Wenyan more likely closes games than Thomas Bryant does because teams aren't going to be able to go at him in the same way defensively, or if they are, LeBron can switch over in most, most oftentimes, right. To whatever the center is, that's closing the game for the opponent. We saw him do it with Jokic in a win. And that to me is probably the more likely formula, but I, I wonder what your thought is on that center spot without AD until he comes back. I, I, I think you're spot on Mike. Let's take a quick break and come back and, and talk about that more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to start with Thomas Bryant. Um, he's a guy that, you know, he he plays so hard. He's that guy that I always say that he never cheats the game. One of the dangers that you can have with guys like that is when their role expands due to injury or what have you, is they can gas themselves out. And maybe this is me as a Thomas Bryant apologist. He looks a little gassed to me, and this is shown on the offensive end as well. And it makes sense in terms of he – this is – not only the most basketball that he's played uh, in in quite some time, but it's consistent over, you know, AD's missed a bunch of games by now. And so TB is not just playing two shifts. He's playing starter minutes. And he just appears to me like a guy who's a little bit gassed. And that said, though, even in the best of circumstances, a lot of the defensive issues that he has that Darius was talking about are true. I just don't think I think they're a little more exaggerated and a little more exacerbated right now. And so the solution to that right now in terms of personnel and with respect to Wenyon, who I definitely want to get into more when it circles back around to me um, I, I agree with what you were saying, Mike, in that it's probably just when it comes in a little bit earlier if TB is having some issues. Um, and But while I was watching that game, Darius, one of the conversations that we've been having is about Darwin's adjustments and what he does or doesn't do. We've had these third quarter struggles throughout the year and typically throughout sports, that's something that you always talk about the coach, right? That's your time is at halftime. You go, it's your one time to really talk as a team and get on the same page and while this kind of plays into a similar concept in that TB last night in particular needed a life raft, he needed somebody to come and help him, right? And uh, and there are a couple of things that we can do that I, you know I can get more into the schematic stuff in a in a bit, but that's one thing that I've noticed with Darvin just in particular is that a lot of the complaints that you heard from the Bucks. And for of Budenholzer, I think that can be applied to Darwin with respect to you go into the game with a game plan. And I think our game plans have actually been very good for the most part against most of the teams that we've played. One of the things that I see happening in the third quarter is that we don't anticipate the the adjustment or the counterpunch to whatever our game plan was in the first half. And it takes us a while to switch off of that. And so one of the rules I in basketball and in coaching is don't get beat the same way three times in a row, right? There's some will say two, right? But especially three times in a row, three times in a row. And that was one of the things I saw specifically with the TB matchup. It was like very obvious that he was not able to do what was asked of him. And that's one of the places where I think a coach really needs to step in is when you start 
seeing a guy like, oh, he can't do the thing that you're asking him to do. You need to make adjustments to that. And so I'm just curious about your thoughts of on like to what degree is that controllable through a you know strategic end of like dedicating a little more help to helping Thomas Bryan out? Or do we not have the assets to do that? Well, this is a complicated question. Um, <laughs> I Because I think that your overall, your overall description of what's been happening in third quarters and Darwin, I think, is spot on. Last night, I was a bit, I'll use the word disappointed because I don't have a better word. I was a bit disappointed to see TB put in the position to have to guard this guy one-on-one or in pick and rolls over and over and over again when he was having a career night against him. Shangun has never scored as well or as efficiently as he did against Thomas Bryant. And he was just going at him over and over and over again. And I felt a little bit bad for TB. You could see it in TB's face too. Mikey is one of those guys who wears his emotions mm-hmm. on on his sleeve when he picked up he his... He was like that post game too. Yeah, yeah well, when down. he picked up his second foul... And he got some, the win, I'm sure, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's hard not to be disappointed in your own performance, even in a team sport where your team wins. It's just like you want to do your best, not because you're selfish, because you want all the shine, right? You want to do your best because you know it helps the team. And TB seems like that sort, sort, sort of dude, like he understands the position and opportunity that he's been given. And I'm sure he wants to play the best that he can in that. But in the big picture, this is the same dude that when he wasn't playing earlier in the season, Pete, he was the first dude off the bench giving high oh, yeah. fives, cheering. He is he is one of the most invested teammates mm-hmm. I think I've seen. Right. Over the last several years, that's been on the Lakers and not rah, rah. Everything is going great. Like like lifting guys up. Right. He's great. So I felt a li- so I felt bad for him. I thought last night, though, against Shangun, as I say all that, he was a bit of a sacrificial lamb. Like mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of other options. And Wenyan had a bunch of fouls in the second half. Like he had, like he, Wenyan basically played almost the entire second half with what seemed like four fouls, right? And once he got his fifth, it was just like, okay, well, we got to sit you. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was wondering what's going to happen right now. Are they going to put LeBron on Shangun? Yeah, because that's the, what the guy that's the guy that's in year 20 carrying your, your entire <laughs> offense with 48 points also then has to defend the team's, the other team's best player that night. Yeah. 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 Tough and ass. that kind of shows your options or lack thereof. Yeah. And so to answer your question, Pete, it's just like, were there a lot of options last night? There were maybe schematic things like they went zone for a little bit, but they mostly did that with Wenyon in the game. They did not do that a lot with TB in the game. And so it's like to me, it was either. Tell TB, go take your medicine. Right. And (laughs) deal with this dude the best that you can or let's put LeBron on him. And let's see how that works. And that and Mike, they didn't even do that. And LeBron still had to get his rest with five minutes left. And it's like a four point game. And I'm just like, oh my God. Are we gonna LeBron's lose going out? Yeah. Are we going like like are the Lakers gonna to lose here? So not a lot of answers. Like, and so I spend a lot of time critiquing TB and it's like there there aren't a lot of internal solutions right now, particularly if when if it's a game where Wenyon is in foul trouble. You started that by saying I was disappointed in a, in a certain type of voice. And, you know, I don't know your daughters that well. Uh, they seem 
like wonderful kids. So I can't imagine you're disappointed too often, but do you, do you have that voice sometimes like where, look guys, dad's disappointed at what, how does that go down at the Soriano household? <laughs> look, there have been times where you have, so you have boys and boys carry a certain boy energy. And I'm sure that they are competitive as all get out with each other, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are the lift each other up no, sort, no, sort of deal. You're, you're on it. Yeah, you're on it. Right. And so that dynamic is when they're the same age or whatever, like I think that that dynamic can be super interesting. But when you've got one who is older than than the other one, and then they decide that they're going to impose themselves a certain way at times, then you're just like, hey, man, you got to chill for a second here. Like that's your little sister, right? Like I need you. I like I need you to chill out. And so there are times there where it's just like when when my oldest and not just with with my younger daughter, but as she grows and she matures and she is more aware of the world and testing testing boundaries and limits is just like like I've got space for that and then there are times where I don't. And so in in those moments there is a little bit like look man I just need you to be better here. Like, you know how that goes. You're a parent too. It's like, yeah, like, no I just, like, I just need better. It's, so help me out here. No, I mean, well, look, so my boys are six years older than Riggs, uh, but they're getting to that point now where he's old enough to bug them some. And, and it's about trying to, trying to teach them how strong they are in proportion to him and how rough or or not they can be with him and and that's a that's an interesting balance that we're uh, we may need you know we may need coach Pete to come down here when he's doing a basketball clinic and do a little bit of lesson on that too uh cuz you know anyway so in terms of the game though in level of disappointment or lack thereof and kind of looking at the roster and I've I've sort of tended to say that it's a bit of both but more just that the options when Anthony Davis went down um, are far from ideal and it's much more about patchwork and yep. particularly when now they still have plenty of guards <laughs> that they've been playing right now, but in none has been playing better yes, in, he than he was early in the season. It's not perfect, but like he scored 15 points on seven of 12 shooting. Uh, he probably could have made a couple more threes. I think it was one for five, but like that's, you know, that's re- replicable for what Lonnie Walker might do um, on a given night. And, you know, Austin Reeves, I think, is a different type of player where they really do miss, especially from from a creation standpoint and from a sliding over to take a key charge. But Beverly did that on defense a couple of times, like made a couple of key plays and hit and Beverly hit three threes. And so that's great. So they they got enough of those kind of step up type performances. Troy Brown hit his first two threes, like just stuff like that that was not happening early in the season at certain points that like Toscano Anderson had a rough shift. I thought Pete in the first half. Second mm-hmm. half was much better, and he ends up three for four from the field. Uh, he has three assists. So they're, they had guys kind of stepping around the periphery, but asking Gabriel and Bryant to do better than they could on, on a tough cover, I, you know, I'm just – especially with – I thought your point was key with the fatigue level that he's hit, which I thought Austin hit last month. Mm-hmm. When you go into a season planning on doing a certain amount, both physically and mentally. Exactly. And then you all of a sudden have to do a lot more. Like That's hard to do, and I think that's the point that – DB's at for sure. Very much so. And that patchwork, I mean, all in all, I'm very happy with our ability to tread water with Anthony Davis out. I think we've done a really admirable job of that. 
one of the biggest answers to our front court defensive problems is LeBron playing better on defense, but that's just not possible on a, and especially in games like that, like it can't be an all 82, but one of my hopes, and I want to just kind of shift the focus of this topic to grander goals to when Anthony Davis is back. And when LeBron James is locked in on the defensive end in a knock on wood, a playoff series, like what does that look like? How do you look at the roster D from that standpoint of and I I really want to zero in on Wenyon here because he wasn't just good in this Houston game. He was good against Dallas. He was good against Philly, against these more serious teams that I think he provides just a multifaceted contribution, particularly on the defensive end as well, where he can be one of those guys. And so I'm curious your thoughts on Wenyon defensively and where he does and does not fit in on this team. Well, I think he fits in defensively in almost any matchup, honestly, like whether or not he's going to be able to guard Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. Like, I mean, come on, like those aren't right. That's not realistic for any sort of 6'10", wiry, sore sort of guy. He's gotten stronger, and you could tell that he's filled out a ton since, like, his first couple of seasons in the league where I remember him, like, on the Kings and the Blazers, and AD was looking at him like, oh, you're a Kentucky dude? Like, mm-hmm. you think you're like me? You think you're strong? Like, you're not. I'm going to, like, I'm going to mess mess you up because all those Kentucky guys love to take it to to each other. Who knows what kind of drills Coach Cal had had them doing in practice to stimulate that sort of desire. And anyways, I think he can play against anyone and he can play it like what I like about him most is that he can play some four and he can play some five. So one of the things the Lakers did do when Wenyon was in the game is especially when he had fouls was that they did put LeBron on. Shangun and they told Wenyon like go guard Smith or go guard Kenyon Martin Jr. and be that off ball guy who can step in and challenge shots at the basket and, and so I, I like his on ball work I like the way that he engages in the pick and roll in the team's drop drop coverages he's got a lot of he's he's got a nice combination I should say of of tools and instincts that I think are super important for a defensive player. And so, like, regardless of what happens when AD returns, I think that he could be a guy who slots next to AD, who slots next next to LeBron, and potentially can slot between them if the matchup is right. And that's a super valuable piece of the puzzle. How far that gets you... And in how complicated a matchup, like, I think that all comes down to just where Wenyon's ceiling is and how much Darwin believes in him and what's the full makeup of the roster at that point. But I want him to continue to play. And like, I hope his role doesn't diminish too much, even when the team is whole, I think is how I'd best describe Wenyon and, and, and how I look at him, Mike. Yeah. And that's a big time find for somebody that you got on a two way that anybody could have signed last March and other teams did bring in and he had stints in other places. And between that and Austin Reeves and a a couple of Thomas Bryant on a minimum, Troy Brown on a minimum, like they, the Lakers have done a really good job there. And so that's where the front office does deserve credit um, with, you know, Palenka and and on and on down the line and and Jesse Buss and it without going back into like why they had to do that in the first place with the, with the whole, with the trade and where the roster is that that's beside the point. It's about kind of now what, what can they do 
next year, like to establish some continuity with players like that. And, and that, yeah. I think Pete, that we'll be getting ahead of our skis if we focus on that too much right now. But it, I think it's, it does the fact that I'm thinking about that, I think shows what Wenyan Gabriel has been able to show in these circumstances where they've needed it. Uh, and, and that's a good thing for the immediate future. It's more apropos to how do you figure out what to, what to do for, with him for the rest of this homestand. And I think we kind of already covered that, right? The minutes that he's going to play. And there's nothing – I don't think he's going to show something different than what he has so far. But it's certainly been good enough. Watching him emerge uh, really reminds me of when Alex Crusoe emerged. When AC was really starting to play well was at the end of the, LeBron's first season with the Lakers. And LeBron was out. And we were a bad team playing relatively meaningless games. But if you actually watch the games, it was like – Hey, this guy's pretty good. And now, mind you, that's a low bar, right? Playing these kind of garbage time games, which can happen in these March and April uh, type of setups. But you watch him, you're like, hey, I actually think this guy's – and like I always look at a guy at, at his rate of improvement, meaning that it's easy to look at a guy like Wenin and be like, oh, you're barely in the league. You're a hustle guy. You're a motor guy. He's making – there were a couple of plays against the Atlanta Hawks where he had gotten an offensive rebound or he had gotten the ball under the basket. And remember, Max hit a pair of threes that kind of settled the game down. One of them was off of a really gorgeous left-handed pass from under the basket from Wenin that he like caught it and moved it completely in rhythm it wasn't like i catch it and i look around oh where am i going to go with this and it was left-handed you know accurate in the shooting pocket he's been driving to the basket from the corner he has that like middle drive out of the corner and he's gotten pretty good at that shot james worthy was talking about how uh he was watching wenyan in warm-ups and he was saying like wenyan's only taking shots that he takes in games and so he's left-handed jump hook right-handed jump hook he's not you know taking step back 20 footers in warm-ups which a lot of guys do just to get warm and get their shots up everybody's got their routine but i remember the first time i saw someone do this d was uh steven adams while everyone else was getting their shots up in warm-ups he's standing there with his hands up like next to his face his hands up high ready to get the offensive boards and put it back in and whenever somebody missed and it was in his range to get the rebound he would do that and because that's what Steven Adams does in games and so Wenyan to me has been singularly focused on getting better for quite some time now and I think that it's easy to look at a guy like him with our previous expectations of him, which is not to say that he's going to be some star player or anything, but he's gotten better, man. And he like he really helps in a number of aspects of the game that aren't just crazy motor, gets a lot of good offensive rebounds, a lot of hustle plays. Although he does earn us like three, four possessions a game, even that he doesn't get the rebound on. It's just because he played hard. The ball caromed off somebody's leg and now it's still our ball type of thing. And so he provides that. But I think that there's more there that I'm I really hope that this sort of 20 plus minute rotation with him I, I I really hope that continues once AD comes back because I think there's a lot of we need to find the best defensive version of this team and I think Wenyan Gabriel plays a big role in the best defensive version of it I do as well and it's interesting that you made the Caruso comp because one of the things that Wenyan does share with with AC is there is a there is a baseline level of physical ability that you need to have in order to 
be like an NBA player if you're not going to be the most skilled guy, yep. right? And Wenyan clears that bar. And AC always cleared that bar. And that allows Pete, like, you could be a hustle, dive around, all of this stuff guy, but guess what? That stuff is amplified by your physical tools. So Austin does all that stuff too. He is a run around, get after it, dive on the floor guy, right? But Austin isn't the same level of athlete as Alex Caruso, right? Mm -hmm. And so Austin makes a lot of plays, but he's also not making all of the plays with force that like Alex Caruso would make, mm -hmm. right? And that's not to knock Austin. Austin makes a bunch of different types of plays that AC can't make based off of Austin's skill mm -hmm. level, right? So it's it's never- But this force matters a lot, especially as a role player. No, it totally does. Well, it matters within the context of like, what are you asking this player to do and what mm -hmm. is he good at? And what, and the thing that also reminds me of, of AC is this certain level of feel and, 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 and how that feel translates to skill skill in very specific ways in order to be an effective NBA player. And that development that you're talking about with, with Wenyan, it is in the areas of skill. It is in how he's finishing around the basket with more touch mm -hmm. and getting to spots on the floor where he is then able to make the shots that he's being asked to make. And, and so one of the things so you talked about the plays that he made against Atlanta. He had a beautiful pass last night against the, oh, the Rockets. Oh, the one Yeah, where he did the like Wenyan caught the ball on like a like a short roll or mm -hmm. like, and I can't remember the exact setup of the play, but he jumped and then he did a wraparound pass to the like around the defender yeah, to none in the pocket who got like a layup un like underneath, and that is that is. You only make that pass when you, A, see it well in advance and you understand how the defense is playing you. And then you need to have the requisite ability to like make that pass mm -hmm. around a defender. A lot of guys can't even make that pass. Pete, oh, that and, goes and, sailing out of bounds for a lot of guys. Yeah, well, like Shagood, who is a super skilled passer, he threw that one lob in, oh, yeah. <laughs> in like, like, like a transition and it hit the popcorn guy, I think. Anyways, <laughs> so I'm just saying that's just like even the most skilled skilled players, it's just like when you're moving fast, like sometimes the ball just goes somewhere else. Like, oh, I didn't expect that. But he is making plays that are that I don't want to say they're high level plays, but they're they're like, oh, look they're at you. IQ plays. Yes, you've got that in your bag and that's super helpful. And so it's it's just another reason why to speak to Mike's point earlier about the plus minus and leading guys in net rating and, and all of this stuff. That was also an Alex Caruso special, right? Like AC did that every mm -hmm. damn near every season that he was with, well, well, with the team. So there's always use for guys who play hard, who have a certain physical ability and offer positional size. And that's what AC did. He wasn't the biggest shooting guard or point guard by any chance, but it's just like, hey, you put on Damian Lillard. Oh, he looks bigger than Dame. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you put Wenyan on a lot of these power forwards and you're just like, oh, OK, like you can hang physically against these these guys. And on a team with not a lot of positional size, which I know, Mike, that's one of your pet phrases that that you got from from the goat Billy Birdka, that Wenyan has that 
And then he has not only the size, but he has the athleticism to go with it. Like that's a super useful tool. So uh, as we were talking more about Wenyan, uh, Pete and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, uh, thinking about this interview series that we're wanting to do. And I have yeah. yet to get a chance to sit down with, with Wenyan and really get his story. Uh, Wenyan is from the South Sudan. And so when I was in college, uh, there was a, a genocide in Darfur. And South Sudan has been one of the most fraught places in the world for many years. And, and Wenyan, and unfortunately, like the information that I have on Wenyan's part of it is more just, you know, Google research. And I, I so I didn't even want to really state it before getting to, to with him. But it's something that his family um, had to endure and, and he had to get moved under hardship. And it just like when I speak to him now, and if you watch like the walk-off interview yesterday, there's a there's a certain earnestness to him about like he really yeah. wants to get better. He really wants to be coached. Yeah. He wants LeBron to yell at him on the bench, which was happening during one of the last timeouts. Like he's there's a and and I think that it's it's not often that you get that type of just that's the try hard, like want to be great. But then what you guys were talking about was were some of these gifts that he also has that are sort of just inherent. Um, and how did he mm-hmm. get that coming from the part of the world that he did without? So it's that part of it is just always intriguing to me. Um, and I think that he's his is a story that we need to uncover further. Um, and I know we've been focusing mostly on the basketball, but I just wanted to bring that layer into it because yeah. you know this is somebody that's who he and his family have been through a lot. Uh, and all he ever does is really smile and play his ass off and play hard. And, and that's uh, interesting to me. Winning's great. And I, I think there are a lot of elements to his story. I can't wait to uh, hopefully have you sit down with him, Mike. That'll be really, really insightful. Also, shout out to Russell Westbrook, who uh, scored 20 plus points in his fifth straight game, six out of seven, I believe, with the other one being like an 18.9. This is the most consistent offense and scoring in particular that Russ has provided us. We need to get into that soon. But we're going to wrap up here. We'll be back tomorrow. But until then, You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.